0: Well, hello! Very warm welcome to our latest generation podcast. Again, we are in lockdown, so we do apologise for the quality of the sound that's not quite what we would wish. My name is David Meredith, and it's my pleasure to be your host today. My guest is Martin Patterson. Martin is the area rep for OMF. And OMF is an organization that works in evangelism, church planting, and these other things largely in Southeast Asia, but not exclusively. So good morning Martin.
1: Morning, David. Thanks for How having are us on. You?
0: No problem. How are you surviving lockdown?
1: Yeah, we are getting on uh, well. Um, it's uh, it's it's been a bit draining um, with a young family, but uh, we've uh, we've had uh, good fun together uh, during that period as well. Great. Well, Martin. Uh, Martin is also a Free Church of Scotland minister
0: uh, as well as working for OMF. Tell us a wee bit about yourself, Martin. What's what's your story? Where were you? Raised and briefly, how did you become a Christian?
1: Yeah, so um, I grew up in uh, the west of Scotland, in the wonderful uh, city of Glasgow, uh, in the east end of Glasgow. Uh, And uh, I attended school in that area uh, and lived uh, most of my life up until my uh, late teens in in that part of Scotland. I um, grew up in a a house where my my parents uh, divorced when I was young. Um, and then my mum got remarried and in my mid-teen uh, years I uh, was trying to basically work out like, who, who I was, uh, what was this all about and there was a number of uh, big events that took place uh, at that point in time in my life. So when I was 15 one of um, my good friends uh, just dropped dead of a heart attack um, and he was about two or three years older than me um, and that obviously as a, as a mid-teen sort of boy makes you realize you, you you don't um go on forever uh and uh, that was that had a big impact at the same time I'd also um, been attacked outside of my secondary school um and that meant that I had to move schools uh during that period um and I, I moved from a, a secondary school in the east end of Glasgow uh to a secondary school in Uddingston and spent uh fifth and sixth year of high school there. And it was during that time that I really began to think through, well, what is is life actually all about? Now, I wasn't really uh, thinking through uh, faith and who Jesus was properly at that point, Um, but the minister of that church, um, Bruce McDowell had spent... Uh, time with me, just counselling me after a number of the traumas that had taken place. Um, and over the next few years, he simply read the Bible together um, with me, uh, prayed with me, spent time with me. And um, by the time I reached uh, 19, I came to recognise that I was uh, a sinner who needed a saviour. Um, I was a, a lost child who needed a father who would never leave um, or forsake. And I came to know uh, Christ at that point and uh, connected with that. Um, Was this idea of, or just a sense of call to to serve and to make this message known um, to many other people?
0: Okay, so do you think your call to mission and ministry came at exactly the same time as your call to, to Jesus to to be a Christian?
1: Yeah, it was. It was very. It was. It was. It was almost within. Uh, if not straight away, within within a few days, weeks of that, um, I recognised that actually you know, what God was asking me to do was to, to set my life apart, um, to serve him uh, and to make this message known, um, whatever it is that he would, would take me and uh, use me in the future.
0: Right, can we tease out that idea of of a call. We're talking here about a missionary call. Lots of folk listen to this podcast and there'll be different views. Some folk might not even be kind of all that into Christian things. Most folk will be. When I hear the word call, I mean, did you hear a voice from the heavens like Samuel or what what constitutes a
1: call? Yeah, it was more, it was, uh, (laughs) I'm quite a simple person, um, so it was actually far more straightforward in in reading through God's Word uh, and uh, just assessing what was around about me, and also uh, listening to those who were seeking to disciple me as well at that point, and particularly um, my minister. Um, I I recognised that God has actually given me gifts to do certain things. Um, His Word asks uh, for people to come forward and to to speak for him, to serve uh, the church and to proclaim him, uh, and and through that and the confirmation of others, I came to realise over over a longer period of time, um, not just that instant sort of that instant moment. Over a longer period of time, that this was the right thing to do. So it wasn't a case of oh, here's a voice from heaven which has uh, smashed me to the ground and said you must go and do this. It was um, more a sense of People, people need to do this, people must respond to this. Um, and through the confirmation of others in leadership, um, I came to recognise, no, that's that's what I'm meant to do.
0: OK, so if we were to break down the elements of the call, um, there's, first of all, you're, you're reading the Bible, you're getting informed and you're seeing the, the need for mission, the need to tell other people about Jesus. You have got this inner compulsion that you've got to do it and you're also, maybe thirdly, seeking the advice from the wider church, trusted believers who will be, speak
1: honestly into your life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not to downplay uh, the, the, the first two um, aspects of that. But I, I think sometimes where, particularly when you're, you're a younger guy, uh, where you can go wrong, um, and still, um, as a guy in my early 30s, I can go wrong, is not actually seeking the, the external input of those who are wiser, more experienced uh, believers and leaders uh, in the church, um, and I would always say that to people. That's that's something that we need to be um, listening to uh, and asking for, is the advice and the counsel of those who are um, put in positions of leadership um, to, to, to guide us and to, to lead us.
0: Now, it was fascinating to hear your story about discipleship, especially with Bruce. Bruce and I are, are old friends. We both went to Strathclyde together, along with another guy, Kenneth Gray. We used to spend all Friday afternoons crawling the bookshops, the secondhand bookshops in Glasgow. So, Bruce disciples you. Can you tell me what does a discipleship relationship look like in Scotland in twenty twenty?
1: Yeah, so. Um I would I would say that the, the real impact of that to me was more the, the time that was invested in me um, so so simply spending time with me um, and proactively thinking through um, ways to involve me in um, the, the works of ministry so thinking through how do how do I get involved in in pastoral um, care and um, taking me along to see, different elements and aspects of that. And actually, without me properly realizing it at the time, helping to train me and form me and form ministry uh, later in, in life. Um, so that was really important, really influential. Also, um, spending time reading the Bible together um, mm. and and praying together was uh, an essential part to that. Um, and, and like I said, it's it's, it's not anything that's earth-shattering. It's something yeah. that you see as just a, the normal pattern of discipleship in the Bible. Um, you, you read, you pray, and uh, that example is set for you. And uh, over time, uh, Bruce allowed me the opportunity to, to be involved in doing those things, um, obviously with oversight and uh, supervision, uh, but allowing me the opportunity to, to, to test these things and to work that through. So in terms of pastoral care, uh, getting to... Uh, participate in leading a funeral for example um, which was a totally nerve-wracking experience to begin with um and also the opportunity to, to preach for the first time in front of your home church which I'm sure for most people is 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 also a nerve-wracking experience because uh, you're not used to doing that you know the, the the seriousness of the task that's put in front of you and you also know that uh, this this group of people remember you um from from when you you didn't actually uh, trust and follow jesus and now they're they're listening to you explaining this to them
0: did you feel self-conscious the first time you preached?
1: Um, I'll be honest in saying I can't fully remember it, um, but uh, yeah, I would have. I would have thought that I probably would have. Um, I would. I would have. I, I probably would have. Um, but I think that once, and it's the same probably in one sense for whenever you go to preach now, it's not so. It's not so much a case of feeling self-conscious as you recognise the seriousness of the task that's in front of you. Um, but once you begin to preach, you recognise that it is it is God and Christ by the Spirit who is taking you, using you, and and uh, allowing you to be a mouthpiece um, mm-hmm. to bring the word to people. Were you quite a serious teenager? Um, I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, how how do you want me to go with this? I can explain a few things in
0: sure Yeah, just go. You know, we're, we're postmodern people here. You go wherever you want to go. Uh, intellectually, were you a thinker?
1: Were you a bit of a rebel? So I would I would probably be both. Um, so when I was um, in my first secondary school in the east end of Glasgow, um, I was actually doing pretty well academically. I was I was cracking on with things. Um, I was on track to doing uh, really well, um, but uh, when that when when those um, incidents, so my friend dying and having to move school, um, I, I really I really was quite shaken at that. Um, and I remember I, I didn't actually leave my grandparents' house for maybe about two or three weeks during that because I, I was just uh, pretty run down mm-hmm. uh, and scared um, during that. Um, but I then had to think through, as, as every teenager does, has to think through: what's your identity going into this new school situation? What's what is it you're supposed to be? Who are you supposed to become? Uh, and I was. Uh, pretty good um, uh, musically and so I could play the drums um, very well Uh, that's uh, the the, the profession of um, my dad and my grandfather they were both uh, so my grandfather was a percussion teacher my father still is a percussion teacher uh, down in Dumfriesian Galloway uh, and so I I just could do that uh, the other the other uh, the big passion and it still remains with me today is uh, electronic music and DJing and um, so when <laughs> I yeah when I was in my my mid-teens that was that was what I was going to do that's what I was going to be um, was uh, a DJ playing in uh, different places in Scotland and possibly in different places in the world. That was the big dream and goal. Um, but I also still enjoyed uh, reading uh, and, and learning um, during during that period. Um, but that, that kind of took a bit of a, a nosedive as I started to prioritise um, music and uh, particularly going into uh, uh, nightclubs in Glasgow.
0: That's fascinating. Um, i want to talk to you a wee bit about sectarianism. Was that a big thing in the
1: east end of Glasgow when you were growing up? Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, yeah, it's, it's it's huge. And I think what's what's interesting, what what I saw is very interesting, is how um, it, it also interconnected with um, tribalism in the east end of Glasgow. So, what area you come from in the east end of Glasgow really matters um so where you come from and who you support say for example rangers or celtic they, they are massive defining markers in terms of how you're perceived who you are uh, the family and and social acceptance uh, yeah sectarianism was a a, a, a big thing uh, in in and around about our area i mean uh, the school that i went to was non-denominational and there was also a, a big a roman catholic secondary school and the, the area i grew grew up in and um, people went to both of those schools and it was very clear there was that divide, um, even even in, in sort of child friendships. It's not a case of you didn't speak to other people, we would all be friends, but you, you knew there was that separation which existed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I find superiorism fascinating, you know, like you, I'm from the Glasgow area, I'm from Paisley and, you know, there's just these weird triggers. I, I'm in a meeting yesterday, and the, the chairman come in wearing a green top. And, you know, nobody else in the Zoom room would have noticed that. But even now, you know, stupid things like colours, uh, you know, didn't put me off the chairman, but these things just trigger <laughs> off memories and uh, really bad stuff from your childhood. An interesting question I'm going to ask, you know, the area you grew up in, East End of Glasgow, you um, how do people like me, I'm involved in Mission, people like you, get involved with the sort of working people of the East End or schemes or communities? How, how would you go about evangelising in that context, the context in which you and I grew up in?
1: I, I think uh, it's, in, in one sense, it's doing what we would do everywhere, um, in the sense that we need to think through the context that we're in. Um, I, I think what's been really encouraging to me over the last few years is, is just the way that I've seen the, the, the guys who are involved in 20 Schemes Ministry approach um, approach thinking through uh, serving uh, schemes uh, and uh, working-class areas of Scotland. Uh, that's been a great encouragement to me, uh, and as it's, it's been great for me to, to see. I think in I think in the east end of Glasgow and probably just that that west of Scotland um, uh, area the sort of the wider Glasgow Lanarkshire area it, it it means paying attention to cultural cues and markers. Um so I, I often I often say that, particularly if I'm chatting if I'm chatting with uh, say international students, um, some of the some of the things which help to define culture that I would have grown up in is if you've not listened to Clyde One's football phone in um from Monday to Friday from six till eight, um, then you probably don't really understand the, the mm. wider culture in and around about Glasgow in the west of Scotland. Um, the other one is uh, listening to uh, George Bowie's um, GBX either on Friday nights or Saturday nights um, where you get to hear people giving their shout-outs as they request their favourite uh, dance and trance tracks um, from across the last 20 years. I often say that if you listen to those programmes, you learn so much about what is valued uh, in and around about um, Glasgow and the west of Scotland um, because you, you're hearing people communicate about what they're passionate about. And once you learn what people are passionate about, it means that we, we have those uh, points of connection to be able to, to, to talk to them, to speak with them. And uh, in one sense, even if, even if say, we don't like that form of music, um we know what it is to be passionate about music. We know what it is to be passionate about family. We know what it is to um, in, enjoy um, aspects of culture. Uh, and, and so we have uh, bridges there that can exist to, to chat and to just get alongside people and, and, and speak with them. And I, was, I would say connected to that and probably far more importantly than that is embedded long-term relationships Um that's that's huge. It's key. Um, family is a massive uh, aspect. Uh, belonging to community is a massive aspect of where I would have grown up. Um, so most of my family, for example, um, have always stayed in the east end of Glasgow. Um, certainly for the last two three generations. Uh, and so this is home. Uh, and moving away from that is 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 it's not strange. It's just you wouldn't do that. Um, and not for any sort of thought-through reason. If you wouldn't do that, you just you just wouldn't. Um, and so long-term, embedded relationships, uh, really investing in people and, and wanting to know them, uh, not seeing them as projects, but as friends uh, that you want to share Christ with, uh, I would say that that's, that's essential. Um, this is great stuff, Martin. I mean, I'm smiling all the way
0: through here. Would you say, again, you know, as I listen to you, it strikes me that, I would even go so far as to say, I'm going to stick my neck out here, that there is no difference in mission principles in Garthamuk or Carmel, as there would be in East Asia or in sub-Saharan Africa or in Latin America. Would I be right in saying that there is no difference in the basic principles
1: Yeah, I would say in terms of the basic principles, in terms of first principles, no, we have to have a love for Christ and a love for other people. Um, And that should automatically humble us to recognize that we are never dealing with um, unimportant people. We're always dealing with eternal people. We're always dealing with image bearers of God. We are always dealing with eternal souls who have a destiny. Um, and they matter to God, and therefore they should matter to us. And so a, a big aspect of that is, is us just actually us just getting past ourselves, um, not completely rejecting everything about our culture or our upbringing, um, but recognising that those things are not the main things. Um, the main things are to, to be loving people, um, where it is that God's uh, placing us, asking us to serve. So as
0: you move through life and move through contexts there's a sense in which you're you're always learning you're always picking up things from the different cultures I mean there's there's even a different culture between Parkhead and Hindland so yeah. you know you're picking up all these cues aren't you yeah definitely yeah so we we, we got you know, off track a wee bit. Uh, I think we last spoke when you were about 17 18 years of age. Tell me what happened next.
1: Yeah, so uh, I uh, didn't do too great in secondary school. Um, I think it's fair it's fair to say I, I didn't really care about doing well academically. It wasn't something that was of importance to me, um, and so I. I I got through fifth and sixth year at Oddingston. I then went to work um, because I thought going to uni was probably the worst thing I could do with my life. Um, And uh, after a year of uh, working and having to get up and get out, I thought, hey, uni sounds like a really good idea. Um, And so I had enough grades uh, to get into studying uh, politics and sociology at um, University of the West of Scotland. Uh, And I always look at that and say, Looking back on it, I recognise I had the exact grades that I needed to get in, and that God, in His goodness and His providence, uh, allowed me to have them so that I could access that. Mm-hmm. So I became a Christian in first year uh, at university um, through my local church and through the discipleship there that we've touched on, and that um, four-year period um, was really helpful. Uh, I was growing as a as a disciple. I was seeking to. Um, tell people about jesus um, most people um from uh university weren't uh, christians uh, most probably came from a, a catholic background if i can remember correctly um and um unlike universities say for example glasgow or strathclyde where people would move and come to stay there um most of us stayed at home uh, and so there wasn't that same sort of a transient feel to it. most of us stayed in our area we This is where our life was going to be. Um, So I got to the end of uh, university. um, In in fact, actually, let me backtrack because midway through university, uh, there was this uh, amazing, amazing girl that I had known since I was 11 years old at church. um, And I decided I would uh, pluck up the courage and ask her if she wanted to go out. Um, for uh, something uh, to, to eat and to go and watch a film and it, it turns out that we are now married um, so uh, Jennifer and I started going out when I was at uni and Jennifer was at uni in Aberdeen um, and yeah, that's that's been behind uh, coming to know Jesus the greatest blessing God has uh, given to me in my life Yeah, uh, I've,
0: I've heard that you're punching way above your weight there
1: yeah david i think i think it's fair to say that every christian guy has to admit that that is true um it's uh, yeah i mean I, and uh, yeah uh, i i certainly am uh, so yeah jennifer jennifer uh, gladly accepted to go uh, to go out with me that night and um we we've been together ever since so that's been 12 years in june since we started going out and it was 9 years ago yesterday that we got married oh, congratulations so, So I can fast forward now and say that we got married on the 27th of May, 2011. Uh, We were both uh, unemployed up until that point, and we got some jobs in between. And the September of 2011, I started uh, training for ministry at Highland Theological College. Okay. Now, um, you're really keen on
0: international staff, global mission. Uh, I want to talk about that a wee bit. it seems to me that we are from a generation where certainly in, in the free church in Generation Global, what we are finding is the older people are really invested. They are knowledgeable, they can recite the names of missionaries, they can say places that are very difficult to pronounce, but they can just, you know, reel them off their tongue. They give sacrificially to the work of mm-hmm. global mission. Why Why is this not the case in the younger generation or do, do the younger generation
1: simply engage in different ways? Um, it's a really difficult question to answer distinctly um, because there's a whole host of factors. Um, I would say definitely uh, those who are uh, younger, and it depends what our definition of younger is, will engage with global mission in a different way, and in different streams. Um, so there would be uh, church movements, say for example in the UK, who would be far more um, church-to-church partnerships, and so that is a new form of understanding how we serve in global mission. Uh, and uh, I would, I would guess. Um, that more people of uh, a younger generation would engage with mission that way. Uh, They would also engage with things um, through, uh, say, like the prayer mate app um, or uh, social media streams in ways that um, in the past, well, first of all, just didn't exist. And and secondly, um, that other generations may not interact with. Um, I I think as well, it's it's also important to, to note that the context of Scotland and the church in Scotland is very different to what it was even when I was born. Um, so I was born in 1987, um, and from that time to now, the, there's been a seismic change in the the church uh, and the 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 gospel. Well, not not a change in the gospel, but mm-hmm. a, a change in how the church. Uh, uh, interacts with wider society in scotland the, the there's been that decline um there's uh, there's been there's been both decline and growth that's been the beautiful thing about it isn't it yeah. um and and that obviously um what we see in our horizon colors what we perceive reality to be uh, and I think for those who are younger, say for example they've been through school, possibly university, many of their classmates are atheists, um, and and so they, they they recognise that actually the the most pressing need for mission is right here, um, and and that is true. Uh, it is it is a pressing area for for mission is is uh, Scotland and the, the 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 northern west hemisphere. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been involved in a thing this week called the Bangor
0: Worldwide Missionary Conference. It really is quite spectacular. It's, it's going online this year. And last night they interviewed a, a young girl called Sophie Brewer, Sophie from Bangor, and she's working in Cambodia. A girl, I don't know what age she is, she looked in her 20s, but it was thrilling just to hear her story. And it started with short-term mission. Again, are you finding that a lot of folk are accessing global missions through short-term stuff?
1: Yeah, so that's one of the things that's a great um, privilege uh, for me in my role. I get to uh, meet up with people who are uh, either short- or long-term candidates who come forward. Um, and, yeah, it's it's been so encouraging for me to see uh, those who, who are coming forward um, to, to do things like that. Now, uh it's not. It's not. You know, fifty people coming forward every year to do that from Scotland. Um, but I would say maybe on average something between uh, seven to, to twelve, something like that, a year uh, would come forward to do that. And what's been really encouraging to me, anyway, is that those who go further in the application process and actually do go is the the maturity of of faith and the. The willingness to serve—that's what I find so encouraging. Uh, in that, so I'm not—I'm not necessarily expecting there to be fifty or sixty people coming forward to access short-term mission in that in that sense. But um, for me, it's—it's it's more about uh, seeking to um, provide the platform for those who, first of all, have been uh, called by God to, to to do this and to to move forward and to explore this but also to see the the, the depth of, of character uh, that is there. That's That's been great. I don't want to say quality over quantity, but that's effectively what I'm trying to say. That's been encouraging to me to see that over the last few years.
0: That's great. I mean, the global mission scene has changed so much. There's a big, famous Edinburgh missionary conference at the beginning of the 20th century. Can you, what, what would you say with the Top three major changes in the global mission scene or context in, let's say, the last 20 years.
1: Oh, wow. Top three. How do I narrow that? Um, I think, first of all, we need to recognise globalisation, huge thing, um, and uh, it's not a new thing. Um, so uh, <coughs> globalisation has been huge because it's led to the rise of um Multi, uh, m- more and more people from different cultural contexts and backgrounds living within Scotland. So, say for example, international students. That's probably a, a, an area, an avenue of uh, global ministry and mission uh, that has has uh, grown over the last a number of years. That's that's been huge. Um, I would I would say as well, uh, urbanisation in in the world. That is that is an area which uh, has has grown. Um, massively and, and an area of which uh, I personally am very keen to think through uh, and passionate about learning um, from God's word and also from uh, other books to, to think through how do we serve cities well um, not because I say oh look these are more important than other areas I'm, I'm not saying that but the, the statistics and figures all point in one direction, and particularly as we think about uh, moving to Asia to serve there next year uh, and going to live in a huge urban uh, context of about 10 million people, you know, you need to be thinking through, well, what does ministry in that situation look like? So urbanisation uh, and uh, globalisation are, are, are two huge things. Um, I think as well the, the growth of the church um, we live in a day and generation where we get to, to look on with gratefulness and thanks to God, saying, look at what yeah. the Lord has done. Uh, the sacrificial service of his people in the past has uh, led to exponential growth of his people throughout yeah. the world.
0: Yeah, especially uh, in what, the global south, in, in Africa, yeah. in Asia, in yeah, Latin America. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that that has massively changed the landscape of how we would engage with uh, Global Mission because we have more and more and more brothers and sisters from around the world um, who actually we, we need to listen to and pay attention to um, because there are aspects of uh, living out the life of uh, faith following Christ um, that, that they encounter. Um, I, I wouldn't want to say more... Not, not, not in a more real sense, but it's more of an everyday uh, sense. So, for example, it was a book I was reading recently, and um, it was looking at the, 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 the trials of uh, suffering uh, for the gospel and, and what that looks like. And it was written from the context of, of the Global South, and it was just really helpful. Uh, and lots of stuff that we in the Northwest actually can learn from um, as we hear brothers and sisters helping us to think through what, what's this going to look like. If, for example, in 15, 20, 30 years, things are different in the West, Um, what's it going to look like to be faithful to Jesus? Mm
0: -hmm. So you you said there that you yourselves are preparing to go off with OMF to East Asia. How how is the preparations for that
1: going? Yeah, going well. Um, So, uh, yeah, we are uh, hoping to be involved in uh, theological education, um, in in the coming years in, in East Asia, and so to that end, um, Jennifer is uh, doing uh, the the end of her uh, Bible College studies, uh, and currently I'm studying my um, Masters at, uh, ETS, so Edinburgh Theological Seminary uh, under uh, Alistair Wilson, um, and that's been a great uh, chance for me to to get uh, stuck in, dig into. God's word Now,
0: r- remind me again about your your main thesis. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, uh, I mean, Alistair must be loving it, because it overlaps his two main interests, which are New Testament and Missiology. Tell us a wee bit about your main focus on
1: that. Yeah, I'll, I'll need to remind myself exactly what my thesis is, uh, but uh, it's it I, effectively what I want to do is develop a biblical theology of the city from the book of Revelation, um, particularly looking at chapters 17 and 18 of Revelation and also chapters um, 21 and 22 or the beginning of 22. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm want to engage um, with, with biblical theology, so working through well, what is, what has uh, the narrative of scripture, what is salvation history speaking to us about, uh, that context where um, people find themselves in in the Bible, what is the city all about, uh, and, but particularly looking at it in, in that um, final um, uh, book, the sort of climax of uh, the, the, the scriptures, what, what does that have to say to us Um, And also then trying to work out from there what are reasonable points of connection without overstepping the mark for applying things that we can learn in the book of Revelation to the context of the 21st century globalised, urbanised world. Because you don't want to just read in uh, things that you then want to apply. You want to actually take the time to think through, well, what is it actually saying? And and how far can we take what this is saying in Revelation and apply that to our thinking and to our practice of ministry in urban contexts?
0: Okay, so uh, a missionary preparing to go to a place like Asia or Africa, Latin America, wherever, what are the elements involved in preparation? What are the the ducks that you've got to get into line before you go there? Or indeed, not just you, but any missionary.
1: Yeah, um, I, I would... I would say that there has to be a healthy, growing spiritual life. Um, there's no point going somewhere if you're not able to uh, yourself be uh, communicating the saviour that you you are saying you're supposed mm. to be communicating. Um, so there has to be a, a good, healthy spiritual life, which is um, nourished and growing. Uh, there has to be a good um, sending church, Uh, involved in that so that's honestly I'm like a broken record Um, when people come to ask me what should I do about this I say to them have you spoken to your church leadership about this and uh, honestly about 95% of the time it's a case of oh no I didn't I've not done that yet and so I would say like if you if you're listening to this and you think cross-cultural longer-term ministry um, or just ministry and mission in general, whether it's staying in Scotland or going somewhere else, is speak to your church leadership um, because God has put them uh, in place at this point in time because we believe that he's sovereign, that he uh, is good, and that these people have been put in, uh, in, in place for our good um, to shape us and to direct us. And so I would always say those, those two things are uh, a big part of it. Theological education. Um, you're never going to get me saying that that's a bad thing. I, I think that it's, it's an essential component. What that looks like and where that happens, well, that's um, that's between the person, the family, uh, so the candidate and the ascending church uh, to work through what, what does that look like and also at what point. Does that theological education take place? This is one of the bigger and wider discussions that's uh, happening just now. Uh, Does it happen before people go out or does it happen, say, a year after uh, people have gone out to uh, be involved serving and then actually have questions that they need answered? Uh, And as they're at Bible college or seminary, they are able to answer those questions. That's a wider discussion. Um, for, for people to follow up on, but yeah, no, those those are three um, simple things um, that would be be helpful for somebody to to think through.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you're involved in the Generation Global um, Mission Committee of of the Free Church of Scotland, the, the Mission Board, and you know, like most mission sending organisations or churches, we've had big changes over the last ten years. Maybe a lot of folk are finding these changes difficult to get their heads around. So here I'm talking to a 21st century missionary. So let's just talk about one or two the issues. So there's two in mind in, in particular. One is funding. Okay, so the model has changed from being a, a fully funded central, you no, know, from a central denominational pod to more portfolio funding where there's a range of funders um, can you tell us your thoughts on that? One would think that, from a missionary's point of view, that
1: is a backward step.
0: Can you comment on that?
1: Uh, first thing that I want to say is um, I I am new to the Free Church, and so the previous um, model that was in existence is not one that I had uh, any interaction or engagement with. So um, I you're, don't you're, want to be I, I I don't want to be um, seen to be just um, Standing on people's toes or dismissing something, and um, because I don't think that it's 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 right to just say, "Oh, what was in the past was wrong and bad," because that's just that's not a, true. That's a because great God,
0: point to make, Martin. That's a great point
1: to make. Yeah, because God has blessed that. Um, I mean, but one I'm of talking. The
0: I'm, yeah, I'm even talking generally. I think this is a, a direction of travel that probably yeah. most missions have go, gone from from one source of funding to multiple sources. So, as a general principle,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean one of the one of the things I would always advocate for is that whoever the sending church is, um, for for those who are being sent, it is great to see that their sending church are committing to them. You know, they're all in, and I'm not saying that that means that you know it's eighty or a hundred percent of the resources which are necessary, but to see a significant um, amount of support um, coming in, that's that's huge, and whether whether that's uh, being involved in church planting in Scotland, or whether that's um, going to serve in East Asia like ourselves, or or someone else, that that's just so encouraging because it, it really makes you feel no, I'm I'm being sent the, the, the church who are involved in this sending, and um, they they see us as an extension of the ministry uh, in in whatever context there is, um, and 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 I would always advocate for that. Um, that, that that sort of percentage, that figure needs to be discussed by the church and by the leadership, um, and they, they can work that out for themselves. But I think generally um, that sort of portfolio way of uh, support actually is is helpful in the longer term um, for those involved in ministry and mission. Um, for, for, I'm just going to highlight two reasons. Um, first of all, because, say, for example, there is a, a church which splits um and they are giving you say a hundred percent of your support they they, they they what happens um when that takes place and the thing is i'm not saying this um just as a hypothetical situation this is something which happens with uh, brothers and sisters from east asia for example um it's, it's one of the scenarios that can that can take place uh, a church splits those people are out in, out, out of the, the, the sort of sending country context and they are in their place of ministry. The church splits. There's two separate groups of people. And um, Where does that support and funding come from? What does that mean in terms of their ministry? Will they have to come back? Will they, whereas if there is a, a more broad network of people supporting them, then there is far more of a, a, a cushion being put in place for them to continue serving. I think as well, in a more, uh, the second point, um, the more people who are involved in in giving uh, or committing to that ministry, um, it, there's there's more people who are then involved in in praying and who recognise they're part of the team who God has raised up to see this particular avenue or aspect of ministry take place in whichever the context the location it is, the, the people, the person, the family, whoever it is, um, is serving, uh, and that's 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 a great encouragement. Um, I know personally that's one of our greatest encouragements is uh, the, the number of people who are committed to, to, to praying for us um without them uh yeah i mean we wouldn't be doing anything of what we're doing just now and so that broader um network of people is really really encouraging um for uh, people involved in, in in ministry and mission
0: okay that's that fascinating we're, we're coming near the end of our time here our time is, is running out in fact we're an extra time now, which is not a bad thing. Um, what I'm um, just interested, what back going back from where we started almost, what are you reading these days in, in the lockdown?
1: Yeah, um, a number of different things. So, there's a few things that I'm there's obviously a few things I'm reading for masters, uh, and I'll not bore you with all of them. Um, but there's also some things I'm reading to, um, to write reviews on. So uh, I, I just read through a recent addition to New Testament introduction, a book called The Story Retold um, mm-hmm. by, uh, uh, what's their names, uh, Beal and Glad. It uh, was really good, really helpful overview, and it's a great contribution to the beginning of New Testament studies because rightly these guys um, have highlighted that in terms of New Testament introduction, there that, that isn't a book which exists, which helps... Um, which helps those engaging in the New Testament studies to, to think through how does the New Testament engage with the Old Testament? What are the quotations, the allusions, all those sorts of things that are taking place in the New Testament? Um, and how are we supposed to read uh, New Testament letters, the Gospels, etc., in light of the Old Testament? Um, and that's that's a super um, book, and, and I can see that being a really important resource for the coming I would say the, the the next 15, 20 years. Um, another one uh, that I've been reading recently, which is really great is by um, like Matthew Barrett, Canon Covenant and Christology. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm about halfway through that um, for review and it's oh, it's fantastic. Um, it's it's totally worth uh, investing in and, and getting Um he, he is he is making the he's he's making the point that we, we can trust uh, the Bible as uh, God's uh, storyline um, through uh, the the fulfilment of uh, the covenants um, in Christ, uh, and as a result of that, it means that the canon holds together because it has that big um, Christ centered focus uh, to that. And and one of the, the big ways that he's arguing that is through the Gospels and how Jesus. Uh, uses uh, the Old Testament, affirming it as God's word, um, but then recognizing that he is uh, the fulfillment of uh, that written word, uh, the living word. And um, so, yeah, those two have been fantastic. Um, one more on theology. Is that OK? And then yeah, fine. a couple of just general readers. Um, All Things New is another one that's part of that uh, New Studies in Biblical Theology series um, by Brian Tabb. And that is kind of connected with um, Master's work. Uh, He is looking at the book of Revelation as the sort of capstone of um, uh, biblical theology um, of of the canon of Scripture. And, yeah, it's just a really um, Mm -hmm. good read Um, helping to draw together so many of those great themes that we see all the way from Genesis throughout the the scriptures. And and again, it's one of these books I would encourage people to to get a copy of. And they actually, not only are they they good academically, they actually are are, are good for your your growth as a disciple. That's that's when you can tell that it's it's a really helpful book. It's not just uh, academic for academic sake, which is not necessarily bad and wrong, but they combine doing good study for the church uh, and that's that's great um a couple of other things that i've been reading that have been have been great um the new silk roads um by peter Frankopan. so a couple of years back he released a book called the silk roads um tracing the the history of the the, the old silk road through uh, uh china through the um central asia uh, to europe uh, and he followed that up with the new silk roads a couple of years back um was it 2018 that was released and i've just got round to reading it now um and yeah it's, it's super it's engaging with um effectively his argument is how how we think about the future with uh, an increasingly powerful china and an increasingly interconnected central asia Uh, and again that's just one of those really helpful books for us to be thinking about with regards to um, the mission of god in the world Um, and uh, final one is uh, a biography that i just finished last week on tiger woods Um, it was released maybe two years ago is it Ken? Kentian and Benedict um, wrote that. Uh, I, I just find him as a as a as a person fascinating. Um, you know, possibly the greatest, if not the greatest uh, golfer that's ever existed. Um, and just to, to trace um, his life, his background, his childhood, his success, but also his his very clear failures. And one of the things that was so helpful for me going through that is it just gives you a great shot in the arm, a great check of. Don't ever think that um, the rules don't apply to you, um, which I think for those of us involved in Christian ministry or service, sometimes we have that temptation. We begin to um, wander uh, and, and actually it's just so important that we don't uh, and that we recognize, you know what, we, we need to be paying attention. We need to be paying attention to, to God and Christ. We need to be obedient. We need to um, do that because that is the most joyful thing, um, not seeking um, fame and glory and pleasure and a whole host of other things.
0: Yeah, and again, just to finish things off, we're in the podcast business. Is there yeah. any podcast that you like to listen to? Yeah, I, I, I obviously,
1: obviously, Generation, did. obviously, uh, obviously, uh, I've got, got to put that in there. And to be fair to it, I, I would say Generation does have some really great. Um, uh, stuff there and if people check it out then they'll be able to interact with that um i would i would say one of the one of the best newest podcasts over the last year or so is um every square inch um which is from uh so I, our family um worship at cumbernauld free church and cumbernauld is partnered with tates creek presbyterian church in kentucky uh, in lexington and Robert Cunningham, who's the senior pastor there, uh, has produced a, a podcast called "Every Square Inch," and taking that um, famous quote and uh, applying the gospel to uh, all areas of life, I would I would seriously recommend that to people to to be thinking through uh, not just about um, missions, but thinking thinking Christianly, developing a Christian worldview. Um, that's something that Robert's really great at, at helping, helping us uh, to, to engage with. Um, and, and also, um, not, not just because we, we serve with OMF, but the Serve Asia um, podcast um, that uh, is produced by the guys in the office. Um, is is great and has a lot of uh, decent uh, content there for us to interact with, thinking about, for example, how do we use technology to be involved in global mission? Um, uh, What does it mean for us to reach out to our uh, Muslim neighbours in our own context? Some really good episodes there. And uh, podcasts that are either for spiritual growth or for fun. Um, On the way back from Monday Night Football, I always uh, love uh, listening to Truth For Life, uh, Alistair Begg um, it gives me the opportunity to just uh, listen uh, to, to the word preached um, on the way back from football uh, and it's it's always good because football is a sanctifying process for me because I recognise that I'm not very good and that I can often blow a gasket uh, and so uh, listening to the word on the way back is always a, a, a helpful reminder um, totally Italian football podcast uh, because I'm a boy who grew up through the '90s watching football Italia. Um, the guy uh, James Richardson, who hosted that, he's uh, the, he's one of the main presenters of that podcast. And um, just to make sure that people uh, recognise that I still enjoy electronic music, if you listen to uh, Vonic Sessions or <laughs> anything um, by Anduna Beats or Above and Beyond, uh, you'll be in a you'll be in a good place for that as well.
0: Martin it's great how the Lord uses different people I think my idea of eternal torment would be to be put in a room listening to electronic music so
1: uh Arrange that David if you want to do another podcast (laughs) in the future we can arrange that
0: (laughs) I'll I'll get one my cogs Martin it has been so good to talk to you I, I am so glad that You are not a funk-meister DJ somewhere in the East End and that you're now preparing to take the glorious gospel to the people of East Asia. We wish you and Jennifer and Sophia and Joshua every blessing in your preparations and and whatever the future has. Folks, uh, thanks for listening to this Generation podcast. Please call in every week and tell your friends about it. We've got over a thousand people listening. It's not just about numbers, but we we do believe that what we're talking about is interesting. It's got a Scottish accent. It's talking to real people. It's talking about real issues about the gospel and the mission today. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you, Martin. And it's been a pleasure having our audience. Have a great day.